Welcome to the Sex Magic Podcast, where we explore the connections between sexuality and spirituality, the various cultures and traditions of sex magic, and conversations about everything in between, led by a coven of curious modern witches. If you'd like to follow us on social media, our Instagram is Sex Magic Podcast, our website is sexmagicpodcast.com, and if you want to send us an email, sexmagicpodcast at gmail.com. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible, a truly magical way to experience your favorite books through oral tradition and storytelling. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash sexmagicpodcast. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash sexmagicpodcast for your free audiobook. Cindy, thank you so much for joining us today on the Sex Magic Podcast. Both Tony and I are so excited to have you here. Incredibly stoked. I've been waiting for this. <laughs> well, thank you so much um, for having me. It's lovely to be here and talk with both of you. I'm just so grateful for everything that you're attacking in the fierce and very wise way that you're going about it. I was gushing about you before you got on the line because you incorporate so many of the things that I've had in my own experience. Um, And I was saying that for naysayers or skeptics who think that witchcraft and and honoring some lady named Hecate is very woo-woo, but you're bringing a very qualitative and quantitative science to it through your expertise and also your own journey and integration. Thank you for saying that. Um, For me, you know, witchcraft is as real as we are. You know, magic is as real as we are. So in the sense that we are these collections of molecules and mystery, So, you know, magic works the same way. So if we can be perceived as solid objects, uh, witchcraft can be perceived as a real thing. Um, It's not, you know, there's nothing supernatural about witchcraft. You know, it is natural. It is like the divine within us, that source, the goddess. I connect to this primal source by calling it Hecate. um, And that is what speaks truth to me. And, uh, and it's just, I'm not ever going to diminish someone who has a different path, but I do think for some of us who are called to witchcraft, like deeply called to spiritual witchcraft, um, that Hecate as the dark mother, as the force of creation and destruction really, really speaks to us right down to like our soul code. Wow. Yes. (laughs) Definitely. I, I can relate to that so deeply. Um, I feel as though so many of the women in my life have this deep spiritual call and the path to that for most of the people that I've met and have in my circle has been some form of witchcraft and spirituality. Um, So I'm curious, uh, Cindy, could you, I guess, really briefly tell us a bit about yourself and how you got onto this spiritual path and how Hecatean magic became part of your journey? 
I was always the strange girl wandering around in the woods. Strange little girl, very, very curious. Always an outsider um, in my family. Always an outsider in my family. Um, you know, they tried to love me the best they could, but I was ill-suited um, for the family in which I arrived, in which I was chosen to be in, in this incarnation, if you know what I'm saying. There were lessons and, you know, like I can see the wisdom of the way things were. But at the time, as a child, I was the one speaking to the fairies in the woods and collecting stray dogs whenever possible. Um, and, and, you know, doing little uh, very childish divinations with piles of rocks that I didn't even know what I was doing, but it was something in my DNA that was driving me in this direction. So um, like a lot of us do at adolescence, you know, I kind of had this awakening of my witch powers and wasn't in a family or a community that was supportive of what was happening to me. And, um, you know, I was, uh, I was quite cunning as a teenager, as a lot of witches, we are cunning, aren't we? We learn to survive, right? <laughs> and we will use our cunning as a survival strategy. So as a teenager, I, you know, had this big awakening and, uh, and instead of kind of choosing the path of going more into that, I chose kind of the easier path, you know, the survival path of shape-shifting into someone who was more socially acceptable and, you know, could kind of survive within my family context. And I think a lot of us go through that in adolescence. You know, we have to make a choice. Um, and, you know, and then um, as an adult, I had my oldest son when I was quite young. And then I decided to go to university and become a psychologist um, because although witchcraft and wandering in the woods and such things greatly appealed to me. They weren't going to put food on the table. Um, so I spent several years, about 12 years, becoming earning, earning my doctorate um, in applied social psychology with a specialization in close relationships. Um, as is often the case, I studied that which both intrigued me the most and also confused me the most close relationships and well-being and uh, had a career as an academic and in healthcare as a researcher uh, and started several, several years ago, about 12 years ago now, I started uh, on the side teaching meditation and um, what's now become my course, The Sacred Seven and the book True Magic. Started teaching that when I could and causing, <laughs> causing some conflict, of course, um, at the hospital where I worked, uh, because, you know, I worked at a large women's and children's hospital and the university, universities typically, have, you know, we have lots of freedom as academics, but it, within the hospital climate, we don't, there, it wasn't a lot of uh, room to practice non-evidence-based uh, things, even on the side. So gradually kind of really, I felt this call to do something greater that what I was doing on the side as a, you know, as a side hustle was my true calling and that everything I'd been doing in terms of my career as a psychologist was preparation for that um, and really built a plan and did a lot of witchcraft um, to be able to transition to doing this full time. And, you know, with Hecate's torches, following those torches of hers, um, it has been an amazing time since I started doing this. And actually, um, this past summer, I finally resigned from my position at the hospital. So I am official 
full-time uh, professional witch these days? Oh, so aspirational, just so aspirational to really connect with so many different aspects of healing. Like you're saying, it was just priming you to step even further into your power and your, and your purpose. I really feel that that's exactly what was going on. Now, we have to take into consideration many times in those years, I did not feel necessarily this. You know, I felt, you know, it was, a, you know, I've been in many times in my life in those places where I'm like, what am I doing here? You know, um, and how is this going to make sense? And how do I get back on my path? And I think a lot of us kind of have that perception when we're in the middle, you know, when we're in the heart of that curve, where we're getting to where we need to go, we can feel stuck and we can feel disillusioned and distressed. Um, and I think that's part of the witch's journey. You know, our journey is not meant to be easy. It is meant to teach us to be healers and to be wise women. Um, and wisdom comes from uh, friction and strife and loss. That's, that's just how it works. Yeah, I... I completely agree with you there. And I think it's so interesting how Hecate has been such a powerful guide in your life. And um, forgive me if I'm correct, but she is one of the goddesses of the crossroads. Yes. Yes, she is. Yeah. So she definitely is one to turn to as you're going through so many transitions and uh, challenges and can definitely provide some support in that friction that life just tends to give us. <laughs> and, and that is, I think, the beauty of um, following Hecate's torches is that she always will guide us to the crossroads. And, you know, to traverse the crossroads um, is to get into that state of friction. You know, it is that resistance that it's sometimes there's an easier way but it's a less true way. And sometimes it's better or we think it's better to turn around and run back from where we came. Um, so there's always that friction. So for me, you know, as Hecate, you know, her, her crossroads aspects are so integral to understanding her, um, you know, that there is always going to be friction when you're involved with Hecate. And one thing I find historically speaking, uh, like the, the kind of the ancient basis of Hecate and the crossroads um, was because she was associated with the restless dead. And the restless dead in antiquity, in the ancient Mediterranean, they were often the souls of girls and women who had either been murdered or who had died and had been uh, denied a proper burial. So those are the spirits of her horde, you know, the witches, um, you know, and the girls who died, women who died in childbirth, these different sources of spirits that would occupy the crossroads. So, you know, I've heard so many beautiful stories of the healing that women have found through Hecate. And, you know, it just reverberates across you know there's that echo that this is how she has always been associated in particularly with women who 
have been marginalized um, by society. Wow. Now, for all of our listeners who might not know who Hecate is, could you please give us an introduction to the goddess? I will happily give you a short introduction um, to her several thousand years of history. So Hecate, as we call her today, most likely um, the name Hecate comes out of part of what we know as Western Turkey today, most likely. And that before this, she was a great mother goddess, perhaps associated with Isis or older Sumerian goddesses, um, but that the first kind of records of calling Hecate, um, Hecate come out of this area of what, what we call Western Turkey today. Um, there's also some evidence that she may have also descended kind of simultaneously with the same name um, from Eastern Europe, um, from Thrace. So there is conflicting uh, theories, but what is known for sure is that when she first arrived uh, in the recorded history of what we have, which dates back about 3000 years, she was a goddess associated with um, blessing the home with power and that she was held in esteem um, by Zeus and the rest of the Olympians. So in this mythology, she um, remained uh, from an older pantheon, but that even Zeus bowed down to her and Zeus gave her dominion over land, sea and sky. So she was very much a great mother goddess in the oldest historical records. Um, as Greek civilization grew, and the role of women in society was changed and the views about um, what they would have known as pharmakeia, which is the practice of witchcraft using uh, the natural world, which was largely the domain of women, um, just to compare to like ceremonial magic that wasn't based in the natural world. Um, as this became more suspect by the power structure, um, Hecate's role was diminished from being that of a great mother goddess to a goddess associated primarily with witchcraft. She had always been associated with witchcraft because as a great mother goddess, witchcraft and magic and healing and medicine accompanied, you know, was part of that role. If you look at other goddesses like Kybele also have a very similar, you know, a similar purview. They're great goddesses, but they're, but because they're great goddesses and associated with the primal force, they are associated with, with medicine. Um, over time, in the historical record, she became much more limited to being associated with witchcraft um, and kept some of her aspects about protecting the home and crossroads. And then, of course, we have kind of the, the dark ages of the patriarchy and kind of the rise of Christianity when Hecate was often used in, as a figure in art and literature um, for a vilification and of demonizing the divine feminine. Um, and that's where we get her imagery as a hag or a crone. Um, and of course, from Macbeth is the pinnacle of this and how Hecate and her witches were portrayed by um, Shakespeare. And then we have the reclaiming movement, you know, the return to witchcraft that was started in the late 19th century when Hecate started to return as a force 
Um, and what's been most, I guess, heartwarming for me to see as a, as a student of the history of Hecate is how now she's come full circle and back to the understanding that yes, she is associated with witchcraft. Witchcraft is medicine and it is healing and power and that she is a primal force, a great mother goddess figure as well. So it's very interesting to kind of see her reemerge. And that's not just my opinion. That's also what the academic um, community have been revealing about her over the past 40 years as well. So it's very, very interesting. I, I, I've never predicted that I would become um, an expert on, um, you know, the uh, academic study of the classics, uh, but uh, because of my fascination and my own trying to understand Hecate and because I was an academic and had access to these things, I became totally a student of uh, how the academic world understands Hecate. I identify with that so deeply. Uh, I also was an academic, but I didn't stay in it for nearly as long as you did. I made the choice to not have a child early on uh, because I was the product of a family that the parents were very young and it was very challenging for them to grow up and also raise me. Uh, so I made some choices, but it also... That, that experience in the family that I was chosen to be incarnated and a part of uh, brought me to psychology. I was spending a lot of time wondering, what is going on here? And so I think it's incredible the way that you are bringing back the classics because the classics is usually the most reality. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that gets changed through conquering and rewriting stories so that the people that you're taking over don't have their own thing, you know, a lot of that colonization type activity. But to embody witchcraft with all of the other aspects of medicine and healing and all of these other things that really were very accepted in ancient civilizations, you know, medicine women were a thing. Um, it's important for me because I recognize how medicine has changed so much and the over-medication of people, uh, particularly in America. Um, I'm not sure how it is in Canada, but I know that when I went to New Zealand, someone said, let me ask you a very serious question. I said, please. And he said, why are there pharmaceutical commercials on your television? And it's something that really stuck with me because they're advertising, ask your doctor about when I found the most healing through my own journey of natural herbals and really using meditation and, and aspects of witchcraft in my healing, which of course people can brush aside and guffaw at because depression is real. And I'm not saying that it isn't, but I'm saying that the ways that we're going about it aren't the ways we used to go about it. And so, yeah, it's so we live, I do think we live in one of these kind of tipping points in the history of humanity, you know, and I think that is why witchcraft in all of its forms, you know, the kind of deeper, more spiritual witchcraft, but also in people who um, are drawn to like carrying crystals with them so they feel better. Or, you know, care, putting a bay leaf in their purse um, to help attract money. You know, those very kind of simple magics. 
I think it's because we're at this tipping point. We're at that crossroads. And, you know, when you're at the crossroads, the magic gets in. But it's often the time when there is so much upheaval in society. And certainly in um, our Western society here in North America, because the pharmacological situation is the same here in Canada, for some reason, we have more restrictions on television ads than in the U.S., but that doesn't really change anything. That's just a kind of a blip. Um, you know, that makes th those little distinctions between our two cultures, you know, those micro distinctions we have. Um, but certainly that is a massive problem. And as someone who's, you know, worked with uh, women and children for 20 years as a psychologist, so it's not a pharmaceutical prescriber, but as a talk, uh, you know, a talk therapy pre uh, prescriber, um, to see the damage done by so many pharmaceuticals um, that are given to children. And, you know, we, it is a tipping point and, you know, magic is rising and returning, but there is this kind of force of this baneful force, you know, this truly kind of profane force um, that's trying to keep it down. And I think that's what happens um, certainly to a lot of adolescents, especially girls and other people who maybe don't fit the norms, when their magic starts to come out, you know, their psychic abilities start to come out and they start to go through those journeys when they're like in their, their 13, 14, 15, instead of being in a community that understands what's going on, that their gifts are coming out, they get sent to the psychiatrist's office and pre prescribed anxiolytics or diagnosed um, you know, like with borderline personality disorder, which of course exists, um, but we don't as a culture have a good understanding or uh, vocabulary for supporting adolescents who are going through this emergence. And unfortunately, they often end up really going through a lot of trauma, horrible, horrible trauma. I went to herbalist school and was taught in the wise woman tradition of healing. And we compared the wise woman tradition, which is all about nourishment and herbal remedies and healing the body as a whole rather than breaking it down into parts that need to be fixed, compared to the Western medicine tradition that has been prevalent in the past century or two, in which you get the magic pill that's going to fix your problem and you don't think about it anymore compared to then the heroic tradition, which is another tradition of healing, more about detox and cleansing and getting rid of the problem, making the body clean and pure. And comparing all these approaches to healing and what it really is, is a challenge of power. Because the wise woman tradition, the herbal tradition, the ways of our ancestors, really the power was and is in your hands, in your garden, in your herb cabinet, in your food. But the medicine and power shift in the past century or so has been put into the hands of doctors, hospitals, pharmaceuticals, and it doesn't feel empowered in that process. You become dependent upon someone else telling you what's best for you. And of course, there are amazing parts of Western medicine, amazing parts of the heroic tradition. Like, I'm really glad I got to go to the hospital last year when I fainted. And all these things are true. But what you said, Cindy, is true in that we are in this interesting time in which we're approaching the crossroads. And there definitely is a shift in power. We're understanding how these systems of power are flawed, 
have harmed so many people and communities in the past and throughout history. And really, we're at a time in which witchcraft is rising. The feminine is rising. We are taking our power back. We're putting it back into our own hands. I think that's so exciting. And I'm really grateful to live in this time as a witch rather than you know, in the past as a witch. <laughs> so yeah, I just feel really empowered by this time of history and this process. And I really hope that everyone can feel that and this energy within them. Like I can heal myself. I am in charge of my destiny. I am able to bring my community up and create positive change. Like that's what magic really is about, you know? To all our Sex Magic Podcast lovers, we are so excited to share with you our collaboration with Audible. For all our listeners, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. And hit us up if you need a few book recs. You can DM us on Instagram or send us an email. What are you going to listen to? To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash Sex Magic Podcast. Magic for me is really about um, as we heal ourselves and by healing, what I mean is that it is witchcraft medicine is not just about fixing that what's broken. That's like when you faint, you go to the hospital because the allopathic medicine is very good at fixing something that's specifically broken. Um, but witchcraft as medicine is not about waiting till something's broken. It, right? It is about, you know, manifesting our truth and treating the whole body and being nourished and taking good care of ourselves and, you know, and being energized. And like you said, um, it, this is just the beautiful revolution. But revolutions are not easy, you know, and we stand on the shoulders and often I believe we are the reincarnation of the witches that went before us. So I think, you know, so it's important to me to pay um, tribute to those witches that did suffer um, and die and were, you know, vilified and ostracized um and even now in certain parts of our planet you know that witchcraft is still illegal and those suspected of witchcraft are you know uh, stoned in some cases so it's important you know to recognize although we have so much freedom in europe and north america now that there are still those um who would be similar to us as practitioners of the true religion, which is that spirituality is medicine and heals the body and mind and soul um, that are, that really suffer in our current society, not in our current world. It's, it's tough to navigate because I see that we're in something. I, I can, I can feel it. The energy is shifting. And even if you look up witchcraft, like you're saying, it, it's on the rise. Um, I do obviously have feelings that it's time for us to overturn the patriarchy because that's what's brought us to this place. And it's not, again, any type of misandry. I love men. I love women. I love cats and dogs equally. Everybody's great. Give me your babies. I'll kiss them. But 
there's something about the embodiment of women, even, even if we're just saying not goddesses, but the physical material bodies that we women are speaking together on this podcast, the fact that we can bring life in our bodies and that we experience so many different shifts and cycles as regularly as the moon, as regularly as nature, I see how that power is frightening. I see that. I see how there's a desire to take away our accountability and that that's been bred in our society. But I feel that people want to want to scream right now. And if we really take a step back and say, well, who's in control of what here and, and identify that we get to heal ourselves. Right. And that's, that's something that I feel like Leah or Tosca was saying, we don't feel empowered in that way. Oh, this is wrong. Go check with this person who doesn't live with your body, who doesn't live with your struggles, who doesn't actually know the root of your dis-ease. They don't Mm -hmm. understand that if you're telling them there's something, there's something, there's something. I mean, when I was a kid, it hurts when I do this. Don't do that. That's, that's a very stifling thing. And to have a goddess like Hecate, who can represent so many things, right? To be the maiden and the crone, to be waxing and waning in all of the ways and the times and the shapes that we need her to appear. I mean, that power is scary. <laughs> and to be pissed off, okay? You know, I was talking about this to my sister just the other day. Um, She's getting some contracting done on her house. So, you know, I'm a single mother. She's a single mother. So we do run into this very mundane exercise of hiring contractors. And uh, it can be difficult to hire similarly minded contractors. Um, And, you know, we were just talking about like that rage that we felt and that that rage will come out, you know, when we run up against trying to hire a contractor because we are just so angry at the power structure that says, you know, you get the raised eyebrows and, you know, the contractor who wants a deposit from you up front because you're a single mother who owns a house, when you know damn well your neighbors, they didn't do the same thing too. Like, and, and I think that's just a micro example of this rage. And, you know, when I see the Me Too movement, and the Time's Up movement, I said that is witchcraft and that is medicine and that is Hecatean because that is not the goddess who is kind and benevolent all the time and sits there when she has a mouthful of shit. That is the goddess who is fierce and afraid but does it anyway and will stand alone and speak the truth. You know, that is the energy and the power of Hecate. That is fierce. I mean, you know, one of her roles is as Grimo, the fierce, terrifying goddess, you know, who uh, Persephone is also known as Grimo, Grimo to the ancients. These fierce goddesses who, if you invoke them into you, shit is going to go down. Right. And I think it, the time has come. Women are angry in North America. And we have lots and lots and lots. We have hundreds of years. We've been building up this anger bank. Our ancestors were. Um, and, you know, now the time has come. So, um, you know, the fact that Hecate 
as a goddess who has just risen um, exponentially in popularity and the people who are called to her. Uh, it is not a coincidence that the Me Too movement and the Times Up movement is happening at the same time. We are all connected. We are all part of the same wave, even though we may understand it and experience it differently. We are part of that, the Brimo. We are the Brimo. You know, we are the raging goddess who is loving and kind to those who deserve it. And to those who don't, we have had enough. Damn, mic drop. <laughs> I am just so excited to scream later and invoke Hecate. <laughs> so my next question is, how would someone practice working with Hecate? Are there any rituals you might be able to share with us that we could try at home? For sure. Um, I do have uh, quite a few free rituals that are available either on my website or on, um, I write a blog on Pathios that I have rituals there that I share as well. Um, because uh, we're doing this interview and it is during the period of the holy darkness, um, when the year is at its darkest for many of us, that uh, this is the time when he Hecate's energy is really strongly, strongly felt. And many of us are called to do like soul retrieval and deeper work. Um, so, I uh, do have up on the website now um, a really phenomenal ritual that's called the Phobros Agape ritual. It's a simple ritual for connecting to Hecate's fearful sides, so that Brimo energy and Agape, which is her loving energy, and uh, evoking her presence in that way, and and also calling those forces within us. Um, to you know, connect what to our the power of our own emotions and also her currents. So that's the agape. So that's on my website. Um, I'm so happy. One of my mentors in um, the Open Circle Institute, the school that I run, uh, one of the mentors, Octavia, ha is doing Spanish language translations for me. So I am so thrilled to say that I have an article about um, my understanding of Hecate available now in Spanish. And also the Agape Fogros ritual is available now in Spanish too. I, you know, my mission is to um, help uh, everyone who wants to deepen their understanding of Hecate, regardless of who they are, you know, to have access to, to materials. I have quite a few Spanish um, speakers who are in my school and I was just so thrilled to do this. And there will be a Spanish language translation of the Keeping Her Keys books as well. So that's a simple ritual. Um, one, uh, you know, one uh, basic ritual that I know many, many practitioners follow is the Night of the Dark Moon um, to take a spiritual pilgrimage um, in the darkness to a crossroads and leave a simple offering. Um, this is known historically as the Dipnon, and it was a period when uh, many Greek households in certain parts of Greece would uh, do a ritual to cleanse the house of miasma, um, seeking Hecate's protection and preventing her fury um, in the coming month, because the night of the dark moon, which is our astrological new moon, uh, was the beginning and end. It was that liminal space for the ancients. So after sundown on the dark moon, 
many of us now will make a pilgrimage um, to a secluded spot, a secluded crossroads, and make a simple offering that's often um, suitable for the local wildlife. And if that's not possible, you know, there's the spiritual crossroads that you can kind of set up an altar in your home and contemplate the power of the crossroads. And the tradition is, is once you leave that offering, as you're contemplating um, Hecate and your own life, that you can't look back. Such a symbolically powerful moment to walk through that crossroads, leave the offering and never look back. That's incredible. I love how no matter what ritual I hear from any guest or from Tosca who writes wonderful rituals or friend at Gabby or stick, it's always, it always resonates, right? Like there are so many different variations on the way that we pay homage to our ancestors, looking forward and integrating what has happened, but not letting the contrast of our past shape our future. I was thinking about how my witchcraft practice has kind of, it's kind of fallen off over the last couple of months. And I think about my mental space and what I've been focused on and where my rituals do or don't fit. And so my question from this place is, what do you do? Or what have you done in the past that you found effective when you're not in your ritual space, but know that that's where healing is? Well, I think, first of all, ritual is a state of being. You know, ritual is a state of being. We can achieve that state of being through performance. You know, I love, um, and if you go on my Pathios blog and look at some of my articles, um, you, you'll see that I love to set up elaborate layered altars that have just so many symbolic things. And I will spend a few hours on the dark moon every month cleaning the whole thing and setting it back up. Um, that is beautiful. And I love the aesthetic and it just brings me such joy. But it is not the actual physical objects of the altar that bring me, you know, that joy, that healing. It is the act of connecting to symbols of the deeper world. So, so rituals are designed to help us connect to the deeper world, whether it's ancestors, Hecate, um, you know, even angels, whatever it is that you understand the deeper world to be, it is ritual is entering into that space. So even if you're busy and you don't have time to kind of set up elaborate altars and you can't do, you know, a ritual like uh, a full ritual, like my evocation of Hecate suitable for any rite, that it is within you to enter into that space, however you can, where you're at. Right. So it is sometimes, you know, like, and for the chronically ill who can't physically do this, um, you know, to, to just get quiet, get with some music you know, um, do some chanting, light one candle, because ritual is a state of being. And exactly, and that's all you need. You know, and I think so many of us get so hard on ourselves, like, oh, I'm not doing the witchcraft. And it's like, but you got up this morning. And I know you set your intentions for the day. 
And I know you consciously chose what you were going to wear because you wanted to present yourself a certain way to the world today. And then as you had your coffee or tea, you might have said a few words into it for the day. So we haven't even gotten in the shower yet. We've already been doing lots of witchcraft, right? <laughs> and already engaging in tiny rituals. You know, you can see the ritual of, um, you know, I get up really early and I have part of my nighttime ritual is I do some chanting and meditation. Um, but part of my ritual is also picking out what I'm going to wear the next day in a very intentional manner. And I lay those clothes, you know, on my dresser as my offering to my future self. That's a ritual because I'm honoring my future self that these clothes that I'm preparing for her will be ready and waiting when she wakes up in the morning and will help me get through whatever it is the day, you know, that I think the day will bring my way and that I'll be well prepared for it. So I would say that I would say, because, you know, in my school, we do the witch's hour of power. And at first people are like, oh, I couldn't do a whole hour. You know, I've got kids and I've got jobs and I've got this and I've got that. And we do this inventory process. And it's like, people are, and then the students will be like, I didn't realize how much witchcraft I was already doing, how much I was already in my magic. Because some of us, our magic, our ritual is making music or drawing or being really kind, you know, kindness to ourselves and kindness to others is incredibly magical. So, um, you know, performative rituals are awesome, um, but that's not the only type of magical space. We are the magic. So as long as we are living that intentional life and connecting to the deeper world, um, then you're in your magic and stay in your magic. I ask my kids that every day. I say, are you in your magic? Um, and, you know, they're, they're not, um, you know, I mean, they've been raised by a witch. So herbalism and the world of spirits is just like regular life around these parts. Um, so their magic is as musicians and as creatives in their own way. And that's their magic. That is their ritual. You know, that is, uh, they might not call it witchcraft, but that's the thing that speaks true to them. I'm going to ask myself every day, are you in your magic? <laughs> it's amazing. I'm going to write uh, it on a post-it and just have it on my mirror because that's a wonderful question. And as emotional as I am, having asked the question, I do see how I was already in my magic without knowing it. And I was beating myself up because I hadn't even touched a crystal in a month. But they'll be there waiting for you. They don't mind. I relate so much to everything you've said, and I'm so grateful you pointed out how magic is really in everything. And I, I'm the kind of person that's just terribly productive, and it's challenging for me not to be busy. It's something I'm working on, but it's also important to find the magic in the everyday and in the business and stay grounded in that, recognizing, ah, this is just another act of creation, and this is another ritual, and I'm living in ritual. And I love that so, so much. Another thing you said really spoke to me, and that was liminal spaces. That's one of my favorite phrases in magic because I feel like it's the place of both destruction and creation. It's the great void, the space in between, and that's where Hecate exists. I identify as a daughter of Persephone. She's my gal. <laughs> she also is of liminal spaces. 
because she goes back and forth between the realms above and the realms below. Also, I think of Norse magic and mythology, the tree Yggdrasil, which is the tree of life that connects the worlds together. And the tree of life is also in Kabbalah. So we have all these spiritual practices and beliefs that teach us as above, so below. And being in that space in between, which is kind of where we are right now, being in the darker part of the year, I just, I love this place. And I really think it is the place of creativity and artistic expression as well, because we're pulling something that didn't exist and bringing it into this realm. And that's just magical. (laughs) So I have, so you can see that this is Persephone. So Persephone, I have loved, so I bought this at an auction probably like when I was like still, I think I was about 20. Um, so Persephone has been gracing my presence for the last several weeks because this time of the year, Persephone um, is just such a powerful, powerful presence. Um, and there's so much richness to Persephone and her and Hecate, of course, even in the mythology, you know, Hecate was her confidant and her companion and her guide, you know, they are, was in the mythology. So that it's always been this current that Persephone and Hecate, um, someone asked me about Persephone and Hecate just the other day. And I said, think of them as like best friends who are so close. You sometimes can't tell the difference. I think this is so hilariously kismet. Um, So one of the rituals that I seem to discredit constantly in my life, even though it's a part of my being, like I love to cook and every meal for me is really a gift to me. Um, And yesterday I highlighted the pomegranate on our Instagram and I shared a wonderful picture well it's it's a painting uh of persephone eating a pomegranate so my experience with hecate is macbeth i have been the first witch every time i've done macbeth i went and saw tony as one of the witches in macbeth and she was so great and so sexy thank you um but yeah, it was one of those things where even even the way that someone interprets it now, the guy tried to cut out Hecate and I was like, hold up, that's that's my witch though. Like I need her for this to even be grounded in my witch reality. <laughs> it's interesting, um, you know, and not to get into like a long academic discourse about the representations of Hecate in Macbeth which I could probably talk about for three hours. Uh, <laughs> and I would listen. <laughs> but it would probably just be me and you, to be honest. <laughs> Story of my life. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> Maybe five other people. Um, but, you know, like there's that, uh, even within Macbeth, Hecate is this shadowy figure. You know, that she's sometimes there and she may or may not have been written in by someone else later. We'll never know. Hecate likes her mystery. Um, And it's interesting in a lot of the ancient texts, there is also academic discussion about whether or not the parts about Hecate were sometimes added. And in the myth, the myth of um, Persephone, of course, sometimes Hecate is her confidant and guardian and savior. 
Um, and other times she gets pushed out entirely and that old Hermes gets, you know, gets to play the starring role. So it's interesting, you know, that even these authors in their understanding of Hecate, there's always this liminality. Is she there? Is she not there? Um, but of course, as witches, we're like, well, we know where she is because we are also the, we are here. We are not here. We are in the world. We are not of the world. <laughs> You know, we are in the shadows um, and we celebrate, you know, that whole darkness um, this time of the year, because it is like you said, Tosca, that's that dark, wet womb from which all creativity flows. You know, that is where we return. Um, so it's just interesting, like all of the kind of parallel emergent themes, you know, as a qualitative uh, feminist researcher. I'm always doing this, you know, I always, I'm always looking and it's like, oh yes, but there's this theme and there's that parallel over here. And then it becomes this cohesive whole in how lots of different people understand this very ancient goddess. And we can also talk about Persephone for days. I think we're going to need to have you back. <laughs> yes, I definitely agree. But I was going to ask, are you looking for another child? Can I be your daughter, please? <laughs> Pretty please. Um, Pretty please. You want to... <laughs> well, I lived um, a few years after I got divorced. I brought my kids and we moved to literally a tiny fishing village in the middle of nowhere. Um, that won't that won't last. We will. I feel I feel like Persephone. I will emerge from the, the cave. In this case, a uh, abandoned kind of fishing village with more dead than living. Um, <laughs> But, uh, but so yeah, so getting here, you're welcome to come for a visit, but you might change your mind about like fostering yourself to my family after you figure out we have no sidewalks, no Uber, and no one is ever going to bring food to your door. Oh, that sounds great. So switching gears a little, we are the Sex Magic Podcast. So we do focus a lot on sexuality meeting spirituality. I was curious if you could share any Hecatean sex magic or your own personal philosophies or experiences with sex magic, if you do at all. This is a great topic. And um, I said in an interview about a year ago, I said I was going to start writing about Hecate and sex magic, and I haven't yet. So when y'all asked me to be on your podcast, I was like, this is great. This will be a chance for me to talk a little bit about, I guess, my own views on sex magic and um, Hecate as a goddess involved in sex magic. So I, I would preface this whole discussion about saying like, you know, life is magic, sex is life, sex is magic. You know, that the, the, the um, one of the things I love about your podcast is that you do dismantle that kind of separation, you know, that of course sex is magic and we can use it in an intentional way to manifest healing and use the energies that are released within us, whether it's a solo outing or there's more corporeal beings present. Um, that we can use those forces that are released um, and direct them into our spells and our rituals. You know, of course we can do that, right? 100%. And I also really enjoy that you don't um, place the emphasis on kind of that uh, chalice and sword 
idea, you know, that this is what the great uh, right is, and that it, you know, the kind of stereotypical um, dyadic approach of masculine and feminine. So kudos to you for helping to dismantle that, um, because there is so, so much more. And I really think that that kind of very narrow understanding of sexuality is just a fraction about what is magical about sex. Thank you so much, because that's definitely one of the reasons why we are doing this, because sexuality has so much power in it. But as women, you know, since that's my experience, the power is constantly being taken away from us or, or we're constantly being told that it's not ours in a sense. So when you were mentioning how Hecatean it is for me too and time's up, I mean, I feel the power in the rage and the destruction. And I want every person to know that their intentions are everything. Their, their want to channel that energy into something is not something that they're alone in. That yes. energy is palpable for a reason and it's part of us and it's been given to us by the source, by the universe. It's in it's our DNA and to use it is life-changing. Right. So in terms of like the existing mythology around Hecate, she is sometimes um, known as Erotococcus, Erotococcus, Erotococcus bringer of sexual love, bringer of um, sex. Um, so I'm sure like, you know, the, so the difference between like agape and erotic love. So she has that epithet. There are many love spells by which we mean sex spells because, you know, when a lot of these texts were translated by Victorian men, the sexiness was really like dial the sexiness all the way down. And we're going to call this a love spell. But when you go back and look at the text, they're talking about getting it on, you know, like they're not talking about love, like, you know, like love, and, you know, they're talking about that fiery burning need for primal. another person, primal. Uh, primal need, you know, not kind of that Victorian ideal of love. Um, so certainly that was one of her ancient epithets and there are many spells to her evoking her in that way to bless, uh, you know, uh, that kind of fiery, passionate love. And there's even some references um, to her and Dionysus being invoked together in orgiastic work. So there is certainly um, references historically um, to Hecate in a very, very sexy way. Um, but we have had this awesome. We've had this kind of limited, you know, because we're still like recovering from, I guess, early modern paganism which was still kind of written by like Victorian guys. Um, so it, a lot of times, if we want to understand the ancient mythology, we got to go way back and say, all right, so given that these white guys in starch shirts were translating these texts, if we look at what was actually being said, what's at, what are we actually talking about here? Not, you know, because everything is always filtered through the lens of the time, right? So when we look at even the story of Persephone, um, Medea is another classic example. You know, we can't talk about sex mag Hecate and sex magic and not involve like Medea, you know, whose lust 
for Jason um, was her undoing, you know, and and how that story has been told as one of a villain, but she's a villain <clears throat> and not um, not a victim or not a survivor, because ultimately, you know, she survived the situation. So I think talking about Hecate and her witch horde, her spiritual horde, we are always going to be talking about sex because sex um, and it, it's, and sex from the female experience. That is often a way, you know, that we have had our power denied us and that we can use our sexuality to get our own way, which I think is fabulous. Um, you know, use what you have, use what Hecate gave you um, to, you know, to use our wiles, our charms to our advantage rather than a disadvantage way. Um, in terms of, I guess, my personal understanding of sex magic, I have, um, I, I'm quite private about this, but I do kind of have this practice. Um, I am such an herbalist and I have this, shall we say, intimate relationship um, with what some people may call the green devil. <laughs> <laughs> so I have this kind of uh, interesting kind of spiritual fantasy life involving uh, the green devil that uh, is really fun for me, really fun and magical. And it's great, I think, for us to have that kind of creative, fantastical, spiritual um, kind of like lover companion. Um, and that's another way for us to understand. And of course, um, as a witch, having that kind of familiar spirit that is a sexual of a sexual nature is very much like a traditional form of Hecate and witchcraft to have, you know, that it's not, we aren't clean kind of pristine um, Glendas that we, you know, we have this kind of messy sexual history that may or may not include um, entities that only exist in the world of spirits. I think that's cool. I think it's cool and beautiful. I love that. Yeah, it's uh, it's not missionary style for sure. <laughs> for all of the fantasy that I live for, I have never ever thought about having a fantastical relationship or like fantasizing about anything in that way. I'm such a pragmatic, practical, reality-driven person. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that very personal thing because I'm going to get it on with some some devil. I have a funny story. Just a few weeks ago, I was reading Literatica and I told my boyfriend about one of the stories I was reading and it was like kind of rooted in like fantasy mythology and stuff. And he teased me so hard. About it. I'm glad there are others out there. <laughs> But I mean, what's so beautiful about having a relationship with your own self-pleasure, with your imagination, your self-pleasure doesn't have to look like how you and a partner might have sex or normal anything. If you want to have it be rooted in fantasy and magic, then why not? Like, give them some wings. Give them a horn. Why not? Make it fun. <laughs> Let them be entirely made out of parts and pieces of the green world. Mm. Love that. No. Yeah. So, because, or he, or her, or them, or whoever. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned orgiastic. You got me thinking. Yeah. <laughs> of all the green devils, lots of green devils, not just one. 
So, Cindy, I am really sad, but we are running out of time. We do have one question that we like to ask all our guests, and that is, if you could give your younger self one piece of advice being about sexuality or spirituality, what would that piece of advice be? That's a great question. Um, In terms of relationship or sex advice, what I would say to my younger self was, Be more confident within your own body. You know, as a middle-aged woman, um, I wish I had confidence in my younger version of myself in my body and comfort with my own body. You know, like whether it was for self-pleasuring or being with a lover um, that I had more confidence in. You know, so be confident. You're fine. You're gorgeous. You're beautiful. And have sex in the way that feels true and right to you. Um, other advice I would give myself, um, buy the shoes, you know, make the magic, <laughs> do the thing, you know, don't wait for tomorrow. Buy the shoes. Buy, buy the, the shoes. shoes. Eat crap, you know, eat white rice in the giant burlap bag for a month because you bought the shoes because it will be worth it. 20 years from now, you'll forget that you only ate rice for a month, but you will remember the shoes and you'll remember the magic of those shoes. <sighs> Thank you so if, much. If shoes are magical to you, not shoes aren't magical to everybody, but some you know, people they are. I was listening to the Kinky Boots soundtrack earlier, and it sounds like shoes are magical to everybody, right? right. Like even when a guy puts on I'll never forget when my partner picked out the boots that we were going to get married in. He picked out both of our shoes, actually. Mine were like Lady Gaga high, like platform. People ask me, they're like, how did you, why did you? And I was like, well, I'm so much shorter than him for the pictures. I had to be in the frame. But his boots, he just felt so sexy. He loved those goddamn boots. Cinderella got a glass slipper from her fairy godmother for a reason. (laughs) All right, Cindy. Well, thank you so, so much for coming on the show. Thank you very much. I'm going to call you mom. Thanks, mom. All right. I, I love to be called mom, so that's great. Anyway, thank you so much for having me. Hey there, Tosca here. So I wanted to take a quick moment to share with you all about how you can support the Sex Magic Podcast. If you haven't already, you should follow us on Instagram. We also have a Facebook page. Pretty much everything is under Sex Magic Podcast. You can also find us at sexmagicpodcast.com and we have all of our links there. But most importantly, we recently launched our Patreon and it's really important to support us Because our collective of co-hosts offers a diverse perspective on sex and magic. Though we each come from various backgrounds and cultures, our unifying passion is to empower and explore sexuality, spirit, and the occult in a safe and approachable environment. Each week, we offer a new episode on a fresh subject in the realm of spirituality and sexuality. We interview a variety of guests, from authors to psychologists to witches and beyond. We strive to share content that is educational, inspirational, and mystical. So join us on our journey through sex magic by supporting the work we do. Every dollar goes towards propelling us forward and will allow us to continue creating podcasts. By supporting our podcast, you'll join our community and be part of the conversation. 
Our Patreon patrons will gain access to various resources, rituals, recipes, and behind-the-scenes access. With more funding for our Sex Magic podcast, Coven can dedicate more time to crafting sacred offerings to our supporters, sex magic courses, videos, spell books, and we really would love for you to be part of our sexy little coven. So I also wanted to take a moment to shout out a few of the patrons we have so far. Shout out to Melina Beatrice and to... Meredith Andrews, thank you so, so much. And also a shout out to my boyfriend and to my mom. Thanks y'all for supporting, it means a lot. <laughs> so follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, our website, and support us on Patreon. We love you and we wanna continue offering these amazing podcast episodes and we're so grateful to do that and have your support.